Amen. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you. If you're a guest this morning, thank you for being here. And uh, I'm just one of the pastors that's a part of the teaching team. Pastor David's our campus pastor, so that's probably who you're going to get to know more, even more than me. And uh, we're finishing up a series this morning called Strong in His Might. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we're going to jump in this morning. I don't, I don't want to waste too much time. So while you're getting your Bible out and turning, get your notes out, take some notes. And uh, I do want to encourage you, though, while you're kind of getting your act together, um, man, I am, I am super, super passionate about missions. And, uh, and one of the things that I encourage our church body to do is to be uh, take a missions trip. And so if you've never taken one, uh, we, uh, we're getting ready the summer. The summer ones are probably in full gear. I, at this point, I don't know that if you can join them because there's a, a process to that. But keep your eye attentive to next year. We'll have a preview time. You can preview the up and coming year's missions trips. And I really want you and your family to begin to pray about that. Think about going. I, uh, you know, we're, we're on the final leg here of a four-week series. Next week is Mother's Day. Public service reminder, all right, next week's Mother's Day, so I probably helped you out. And, uh, and then after Mother's Day, we're going to start a summer series. We're going to go through uh, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the city of Colossae, and it's called Colossians. And so uh, we're going to go through that all summer. It's one of the things we like to do at Coastal is unpack a book of the Bible at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. And uh, so you become familiar with the Word of God on a regular basis. This sermon series has been called Strong in His Might. We've been unpacking the armor of God, and we talked about week one that the armor is Christ, and then uh, the following week, we talked about the spiritual battle that the armor prepares us for. And then last week and this week, we've gotten into the particulars of the armor, and we've been kind of talking about this idea that the Apostle Paul says, man, if there's a piece missing uh, of the spiritual armor that God has given us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then you're going to be unprepared, right? And so uh, last week, and so if you listened to my sermon in Yorktown last week online, then I, you'll know the story. Uh, but this is a great story, and it needs to be retold. And, uh, and so last week... Um, I had uh, the great opportunity, along with a lot of other people, to go to the CareNet Walk for Life, and uh, that's a, a ministry down on the peninsula that Coastal helps support. And, and by the way, just so you know, uh, 10 cents of every dollar that you give to Coastal goes outside the walls of Coastal to support different ministries and missions, both in community and across the world, because that's how much we believe in, in, in seeing the fame of Christ go globally. But this mission uh, in, in the, down on the peninsula helps uh, moms uh, who may have an unexpected presence pregnancy that are considering ending or terminating the life of the child to at least consider other options. And so it's a fantastic ministry that we help support. And so last Saturday, they had a, a walk for life. And uh, I show up there and, and I see Pastor Joey. Pastor Joey's here this morning. Stand up, Pastor Joey. You should stand. No, I'm just kidding. He's just waving. And uh, Pastor Joey was there, and I look at him, and, and I knew it was a walk. I, I, my understanding was it was a 5K. Uh, my, my GPS said it was two and a half miles. I don't care what your GPS said there, Pastor Joey. And, uh, and, so, and so I look down at Joey, and he, he's got leather boots on, and um, he, he's since debated this with me all week, skinny jeans and a flannel shirt <laughs> and a satchel, okay? And... Um, and I said, are, are you like working a booth or something? And he, he's like, no, I'm walking. And I looked down at his shoes and I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. He had laced up leather boots on for a two and a half mile walk. And I said to him, I asked him, I said, 
Is that the most athletic shoe you own? Well, if you know Pastor Joey, you know, that was the most athletic shoe he owned. And so, uh, so he did his two and a half miles. And that night I saw him in our We Are Coastal class. And he's like, he's like, dude, man, I got blisters all over my feet. Like, yeah. So we're gonna be taking up a special offering after the service for Pastor Joey to have some tennis shoes, all right? Um, Yeah, I couldn't wait to tell it again. I may tell it again next week down at Yorktown. They've heard it three times. They may get it again. It's just my favorite story of the year. But um, no, we have to be prepared, right? And so if you don't have the right equipment you're in your spiritual life, um, you're going you're gonna to limp through life, essentially. And so uh, the Apostle Paul has given us the equipment, and, and, and certainly God has in Christ, right? And so the armor is Christ. And so now Paul's been kind of unpacking the individual pieces of the armor of God. And so this morning we're transitioning to the final couple of pieces that, of armor that the Apostle Paul encouraged us to put on as we live each day in Christ. So check this out, Ephesians 6, 16. Paul writes this, he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, and so we're gonna start with the shield of faith this morning. And, and if you know anything about the Roman soldier that the Apostle Paul is probably kind of targeting and highlighting is, is their shield. Um, the shield of faith had a, a leather exterior to it that was usually dipped in something liquid that it could extinguish fire because it wasn't uncommon for the Roman enemies to have fire-tipped darts. And so if the dart hit the shield, uh, it would be extinguished. And so Paul says, listen, you need to take up the, the shield of faith. Now, when it comes to faith, it's very, very important to remember that the strength of faith is how much, not how much you muster up inside of you, but rather it's the object on which you place your faith. The object of your faith is what's important, right? You can have, and I've, I've illustrated this so many ways through the years, but I mean, you can have, you can have a, a ton of faith in, in an object that's not strong and you're gonna fall or falter, right? You can have a little bit of faith, but if the object of the faith is a sure thing, you're gonna be fine, right? And so that's why it's so important to understand the ministry and the mission of Jesus Christ, right? And who he was and who he is and what he did. And, and he is the object of our faith. He is the shield of our faith. I, I want you to know something, by the way, if you're investigating Christianity, this is why if you come to Coastal for any length of time, you're gonna hear frequently about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do we hammer so strongly on the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is in vain. If a dead guy comes back to life, we should listen to him, right? And so I want you to hear this. Christ rising from the grave bodily is essential to all that we hold to as Christians and all that we believe, and it is a historical fact grounded in history. And if you put your faith in Christ, your faith is on an object that is a sure thing. Yes. Okay. So our, the object of our faith is strong, right? 
And so we want your faith to rest both in the person and work of Christ and in the word of God. And by the way, they both intersect in Christ. Probably you know John 1, 1, right? Where the author, the apostle John writes, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? And so Christ is the pinnacle of the word of God. And so the object of our faith is strong. The second reason I think the apostle Paul tells us to take up the shield of faith is we should have faith for our daily provision and our daily strength, okay? So each day, when you get out of bed in the morning, your faith rests for provision for that day in the word of God to see you through. So that when temptation comes, we know the word and we take our spiritual journey one day at a time. I think it's really easy. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're battling an addiction. I think whenever there's a particular sin that you struggle with, and I think one of our dangers when we struggle with a particular sin or we're struggling with an addiction is go, we start to think, man, how can I, how can I stay free of this addiction for a lifetime, right? And it begins to overwhelm us in our thinking and in our minds. And I think that's the wrong thinking. I think we need to get up each day and say, you know what? I need to trust the word of the Lord to be true for today. I'll, I'll, I'll get through today and then I'll get up the next day and I'll trust in the word of the Lord to be true for today, right? That's why Jesus, in, in, when he taught us to pray in Matthew 6, what did he say? He said, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Of course, we know our daily bread is Christ, right? We feast on Christ each and every day. And, and I think this was mirrored and, and, and illustrated for us in the Old Testament. Remember the nation of Israel when they got freed from Egypt and they were traveling to the promised land and God provided a food for them. Anybody remember the name of the food? You know what manna means? What is it? What, you, what in the world is this, right? And, and do you remember the instructions that the people of Israel were given for manna? Anybody remember? They were only supposed to take up enough for how long? One day. If they didn't, it got stinky, right? And so why is that? Because God, in this journey of faith, in the shield of faith, I think there's this peace to, hey, we get up each day and we trust the Lord and his word and our relationship with Christ for that day. Now, of course, we look to the future and we know there's promises of glorification, which we're gonna to get to in a minute, but, but man, we trust in the words of the Lord for strength for the day. We feast on Christ for the day. We worship Christ for the day. We read his word for the day. We, sufficient for the day are the promises of the Lord. We, we don't have to pile all the worries about tomorrow into today, right? We feast on Christ today. The final thing I want you to see about this shield of faith that God has given us is to do spiritual battle is our faith is strengthened by community. Our faith is strengthened by community. We're not called to, to be Lone Ranger Christians, right? It's kind of the American way. Like you kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of Christianity. You know, we're, we're called to be in faith in community. In fact, one of the things that was unique, if you will, to the, um, the Roman shield, and Paul's illustrating with the shield of faith, is it was actually an interlocking shield. It was actually a full body length shield. And 
and they were most effective when they interlocked with the person next to you. In fact, uh, the Roman shields, if you had enough soldiers together, could almost protect like a, like a turtle shell, I guess. You know, you lock this thing together and, and, and the one another, the partner next to you, kept you even safer with the shield. And I think Paul is, is giving us this, this picture of our faith being strengthened in community. At Coastal, our vision statement, I don't know how many of you know it, okay, is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We, that's our, we believe that's the mission that Christ gave his church in the Great Commission, is develop authentic followers, to make disciples. And, and we say, and, our, and the way we carry that out is we think there's three critical things that we provide at Coastal to help you do that. Three things are, see if any of you know, it's what, connect what? Grow and serve. So some of you have been around a while, right? Connect, grow, and serve. And so there's three things that we think there's a community aspect to your faith. We want you to connect by being a part of corporate worship. This is corporate worship. We gather corporately, we sing, and I don't know about you, but man, you know, when I hear my brothers and sisters in Christ singing with me about a mighty fortress, you know, our God is secure, he keeps us secure, he keeps his promises. Man, that just encourages my faith. Like, man, I'm not journeying in this alone, right? And so there's corporate worship and it's community. And then there's small groups. We want you to be in a small group. If you haven't yet committed to a small group, man, I hope you'll find one or maybe a spiritual formation class that's happening here over the summer. Have others that journey with you and encourage you in this in the faith. And then we want you to serve with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And two areas I want you to serve, and I want you to serve, I want you to serve in a ministry of coastal. And by the way, you know, I know Pastor David's been hammering on this, right? We our vision in, in for the for the launch in September, the grand opening, is to go to two services. There's a place for you to serve this local body and serve this community and serve what God's doing in this church. That's coming. It's going to be here before you know it, if you can believe that, right? And we want you to serve in a mission. We want you to find a place where you're outside the walls of the local church. Why? Because these things encourage our faith. Look what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. He says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So the Apostle Paul is like, hey, I want to come to the church in Rome. I have a spiritual gift that I, I want to use to help encourage you. But then he says this, very interesting. He says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by what? What's it say next, church? By what? Each other's faith, both yours and mine. There's a community aspect to strengthening our faith. And Paul has a spiritual gift that he wants to come and serve with this church. But he says, man, every believer, by the way, everyone in this room that calls themselves a Christian has a spiritual gift that God has given you to use for the encouragement, not of you, but of the others, right? And so if you have a gift that you're not using, you're just kind of sitting on it, then maybe your neighbor or the person near you is not being encouraged in their faith like they could be because you're not yet using your gift, right? You're not yet using your spiritual gift. It's all right. You can, now you're just stuck looking at me instead of there. It's so weird. Now I can see it. It's okay. It's a Mac. Things go wrong with Macs. If we, if we had a PC, it'd probably be working better. So, amen. I'm just kidding. I know nothing about computers. <clears throat> The joke at Coastal is I go through a computer about every 18 months. And maybe it's because I slam them when they don't work. I don't know. But, um, and so the shield of faith, right, is that we, we take God at his word. We trust the son for his daily provision. And we serve and we worship in community. There's a community aspect of the shield of faith. Number two, the second thing Paul talks about is the helmet of salvation. 
It's the helmet of salvation. Ephesians chapter six, verse 17. Paul says, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, uh, we can't lose our salvation, all right? This isn't put your salvation on, oops, it fell off, put it back on, okay? Uh, salvation is a gift from the Lord, and he chooses his children and they will be saved. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, okay? Uh, but I think uh, if you look and you understand the helmet of salvation, what, is the, what does the helmet protect? It protects the mind, right? And I think if you read your New Testament closely, there's a heavy, heavy emphasis on our thinking and our mind, what we choose to dwell on and, and how, that, how that nourishes our spiritual souls and prepares us for spiritual battle. So let me talk about the three things that salvation does that brings such great blessing and the grace of God to bear on the spiritual battle. And these are three doctrinal words. And I want you to, as you leave here today, to begin to consider these concepts in your mind as the helmet of salvation. All right, and the first one is this. It's the doctrine of justification. I think a lot of times, man, we hear these big church words. First of all, we don't know what they mean. I'm gonna tell you what this one means. I'm gonna really park on this one. But I also think we don't consider, man, how does this apply to my daily journey, right? How does this apply to my walk, my spiritual battle that I face? The word justification means declared righteous. Now, I want you to hear this, all right? If you're new here, you're not yet a believer, okay? You're not yet a Christian, all right? You gotta know what this means. This means, I mean, uh, so you could go all the way back to my first sermon I preached in Yorktown. I'm not gonna re-preach that entire sermon, but I really spent some time on this. That you, where we are, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're, it's not God's kind of happy with us, but man, we're a little off kilter. Actually, the Bible says we're enemies with God. We're in rebellion to his holy character. And what we really deserve is the wrath of God. But God, because he's loving and gracious, satisfied his own demands for holiness by doing something we never could do. He sent his one and only son who lived a perfect life. Jesus is the God man. He's both the son of God and he's man at the same time. It's this mystery that I don't think we'll ever get our heads around. He lived the perfect life. He's the only person that walked planet earth that didn't deserve to die. Yet he died in our place at this brutal, horrific death on the cross. Every Every time we consider the cross and his brutality, we're supposed to look at the cross and understand, man, that's how much God hates sin. It's not something to be taken lightly with the character of God. God poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ. They laid him in a grave and three days later, he rose again, authenticating his claims to be the son of God. And the message of the gospel is, it's our job to repent and believe. What does that mean? It means we acknowledge that we're sinners. We acknowledge we're in rebellion of God. We, we confess it and we repent. That means we turn from it and we turn to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when we believe, that he is who he says he is, I want you to hear this, his good works are now credited to your spiritual bank account by grace through faith. Isn't that amazing? And so then we're declared, not that we, not that we act always, but we're declared righteous and holy in the, in the presence of God, both at the moment of receiving, but for all of eternity, we're declared righteous is the doctrine of justification. 
Now, I hope that stirs something in you because that has practical implications. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you haven't yet received Christ as Savior, let me tell you something. The message of the Bible is not you need to be good to go to heaven. The message of the Bible is you need to be perfect to go to heaven. Which I think if we're honest, right, we all go, man, I'm, man, I'm not perfect. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why you need a Savior. That's why you need to repent of your sins. Call it what it is. I'm a sinner in the presence of a holy God and trust God's rescue plan, which is Jesus Christ, his one and only son, okay? And so the doctrine of justification, Romans chapter five, verse one says, therefore, since we have been justified by doing good works. Isn't that what it says? No, how are we justified? How, do, how, how are we declared righteous? By what? By faith, right? And then what happens? Guess what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And God's in Christ, God's no longer angry, angry was we're declared righteous. So what does that mean? Our past is gone. See, some of you are still living, even as a Christian, if your past just overwhelms you on a daily basis, there's parts of your past that you're like, man, if it was ever shown up here on the big screen, you know, if Amber ever made a mistake and started showing some video of a Friday night when you were 18, right? Like, <laughs> holy cow, and, you know, and that weighs on you, and you're like, man, I, you know, I just can't seem to find freedom in my heart and my mind. You need to preach the gospel, the helmet of salvation to yourself that goes to your heart and says, man, I've been declared right righteous. Jesus paid for that sin on the cross. He lived a perfect life and his good works are now my good works by grace through faith. Just preach that to yourself. Some of you are struggling with a sexual sin or there's sexual sin in your past. You're just wondering like, man, I'm never going to be all the, no, the doctrine of justification, you're declared righteous. Some of you, some of you in this room, maybe you had an abortion when you were a teenager and someone talked you into that and you thought that was the right thing. And now you've taken this journey and, and, and man, it's, it's just this overwhelming sense of shame and guilt. And, and I want to encourage you, the same cross that paid for my sin pays for all sin, all particular sins. Christ is paid for them on the cross and you're declared righteous. And God, in his grace, even can take it a step further. As you begin to trust and understand and preach to yourself the gospel, God also takes our past sins and our past hurts and he uses them for your story to help someone else. There's women who have been in our church that have had an abortion and they've used that story to help others overcome the grief and the shame and the heartache of that. There's, there's, there's people in our church that uh, their marriages fell apart and they actually, God restored them back together. Now they use that story to help others when their marriages hit real difficult spots to say, man, here's how we walked through that. God doesn't waste any hurts because of the doctrine of justification. The second thing we preach to our mind about the, the helmet of salvation is the gospel, is sanctification. Again, a big word next to it, you can write in your handout, you can write the word holy. At its root word is the word holy or righteousness, right? And so because once we become a Christian, the, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. We're no longer dead in our sins, but now we can grow in spiritual maturity. We can become more like Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses one through three, the apostle Paul says this. He says, finally then, brothers, 
We ask you, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing now, that you do so more and more. What's he saying? There's a, there's a spiritual progression of holiness and sanctification. As a believer, the Holy Spirit is molding us more and more into the image of Christ. Verse two, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. By the way, let's stop here for a minute, right? If you ever wondered, like, man, what's God's will for me? Man, I wonder what God's will for me is. And usually when we're asked that question, we're like, man, if you're single, it's like, man, who am I supposed to marry? Should I go out on this date? If you're, you know, you're in college, you're like, man, what should, my, what should I get my degree in? You know, who sh- where should I get a job? And we make it really, really complicated. And the will of God isn't that complicated for this is the will of God. What is it, church? Your sanctification to grow in holiness, to grow in righteousness, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What happens next? Everything else gets added unto you, right? This is what I preach at my kids all the time. Like, I I don't care about all the other stuff. Of course, I want you to be all the other stuff, but, but this is the key. It's the cornerstone. It's Christ. Seek his kingdom. And so the helmet of salvation protects our minds. And so now we preach the gospel to our minds and we remind ourselves, you know what? I'm supposed to be growing in holiness and righteousness. So listen, every worldly philosophy that enters into your mind as you grow in holiness and righteousness, we should have a familiarity with the word of God and with holiness and righteousness. We should be able to ask the question, man, is that the world's way of thinking or is God want me to think differently? Is there a different worldview? I'm gonna tell you something. More times than not, the, the word of God is counterintuitive to the rest of the world. No question about it. It's gonna, it's gonna challenge you to go a totally different way than the, than the world's way of thinking. Why is that? Because as we put on the helmet of salvation, we think about, man, I'll, my goal is not to be like everyone else in the world. My goal is to be more like Jesus and I should be growing to be more and more like him. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We, we worship God as the way we live on a daily basis. And how is that? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And how do we do that? Verse two, don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed by what church? The renewal of your mind. How do we renew our minds? We gotta be in the word of God. Our thinking matters. Every thought that runs through your head might not be a true thought. You need to run it through the grid of the scriptures and say, man, is what I'm thinking true or have I been so influenced by the world that I'm still being conformed to the patterns of the world in my thinking? The helmet of salvation, man, it's right here in our sanctification process, growing to be more like Christ. Number three, glorification. Glorification. Glorification is this idea that heaven is a sure thing for the believer. That whom God has predestined before the foundation of the world, God selected his children. It's a little doctrine we call it election. And and then he calls them and the calling is so sure. He sees them all the way through to glorification. Your future in heaven as a believer is a sure thing. Isn't that great news? George, I see you go over there getting all excited. <clears throat> I love you. In a smaller venue, I could see people. It's a lot more fun. So. Check it out. I didn't make this stuff up. It's Romans 8, right? Romans 8. 
and those whom he predestined, what did he do, church? He also called, and those who he called, he also what? Declared righteousness, justified, right? He skips sanctification, and he says, and those who he justified, he also what? Glorified. What's he saying, man? In Christ, you're going to spend eternity with God forever and ever and ever. Only one person thought that was awesome, right? I mean, that is awesome. And why is that awesome? How does that affect my day to day? Because I know that my difficulties in this life are temporary assignments where I get to glorify God for 50 or 70 or 80 or 90 years. But man, there's gonna come a day when my faith will be sight. Sin will be vanquished. The world, all the enemies of Christ will be vanquished and we will live in perfect harmony with God and with each other forever and ever and ever. Isn't that great news? And Paul says, it, he, actually, the, he actually uses the word usually in the New Testament glorified as already a deal. That's how sure he is. The, the Greek language lets you know it's already a fact. Our salvation is when our sin is vanquished and it's gone forever. And so because of that, church, how does this, how does this affect the day-to-day? Man, I can live very open-handed with my time, talent, and treasure. The Bible actually says you can use your money to store up treasures in heaven. Why? Because we're glorified. It's a sure thing. Even our children, we can be open-handed with our children and we steward them for a season, however long that is, and ultimately they belong to God and I'm gonna be glorified. Our hopes and dreams we can hold on to loosely knowing that, that man, uh, I'm, I'm glorified already. Even if you're here this morning and you wrestle for your lifetime with a particular sin, I've got really good news from you. There's a day coming when your faith becomes sight and that particular sin will be gone forever and ever and ever. Isn't that great news? Probably one of my favorite things when I think about heaven is, man, my sin nature will be gone. That wearies me. That battle wearies me. Man, I can't wait for that day when my faith becomes sight. And so we put on the helmet of our salvation, right? I go through this life and, I, and, and in some ways I hold the whole life loosely. Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither life nor death, nothing. Hebrews 13 Author of Hebrews writing to a persecuted church with this kind of this idea of glorification. He says, What can man do to me? What can man do to us, church? Nothing really. Yeah, 70 or 80 years of difficulty, but glorification's a sure thing. It changes our behavior, it changes the way we think. We put on the helmet of salvation and we let our minds with what we know to be true about the helmet of salvation influence our heart with the idea of justification and sanctification and glorification, and this protects us from discouragement. And it protects us from doubt as we preach these truths to our heart and to our mind. Third thing Paul says here this morning, take on the helm of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. This is our offensive weapon in spiritual battle. We looked at, in fact, when I was up here a few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus combated temptation with the word of God. We have to be in the word of God on a daily basis. This weapon that God has given us helps us battle our sin nature, helps us battle the world, and it helps us stand against the schemes of the devil. 
Now, let, me make, let me run through a couple things real quick. What in the world, what are some of the claims that scripture makes about itself? I want you to be clear on what, when I talk about the word of God, what you're standing on. Number one, the scripture claims to be inspired by God and authoritative. Now, um, I've been really hitting on this hard the last few weeks. I, I, we're seeing more and more churches remove themselves from the authority of the word of God. And if you're part of a church that, that's calling what God calls unrighteousness righteous, you need to run. They're, they're, no, they're out here on their own. They're no longer under the authority of the word of God. 2 Timothy 3 says, all scriptures breathed out by God, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God is inerrant and infallible. There's no error in the word of God. Psalm 19 tells us, it says, the law of the Lord is what, church? Oh, wait, it's not up there yet. There we go. The law of the Lord is what? It's perfect, Right? Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The word of the Lord is infallible and it's inerrant. The word of the Lord, number three, is complete. It's complete. We don't, we don't need to be looking around for more revelation from the Lord. He's given it to us. Revelation 22. The Apostle John writes, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city which has been described. Word of God is complete. Number four, the word of God is effective. It's effective for all of our needs. Isaiah 55, so shall my words be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in everything for which I have sent it. The word of God is effective. The word of God, the scriptures, provide us the resources for spiritual battle. It's letter B. And here's why. The scriptures provide us the resources for spiritual battle. Number one, here's why. And allows us to stand on the truth. The word of God allows you to stand on the truth. Right? John 17, 17. Sanctify them or make them holy. How are we made holy according to Jesus? In the what? In the truth, right? And your word is what, church? By the way, Jesus here is surely talking about the Old Testament, no question about it. But he's also talking about the words that he's presented. Number two, the word of God points the way to happiness. Points the way to happiness. In other words, you can write in your notes next to it that the word of God is good for us. God doesn't give us any instruction that's bad for us, right? Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, blessed, anybody... The word blessed actually means happy. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and then do whatever they want in their life, right? Oh, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, do it. Why? Because it's good for us. If you're here today and you feel like your, your life's a little sideways and you're trying to figure it out and maybe you even use the word, I'm a little lost, it's because you're doing things your own way. God's given us an instruction manual, sword of the spirit. The word of God provides direction for living, Psalm 119. 
Direction for living, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God provides comfort. Number four, the word of God provides comfort and difficulty. Comfort and difficulty, Romans 15, four, for what, whatever was written in the former days was written for your instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We have hope. And so the word of God is our spiritual weapon. By the way, you notice in this passage, as we've been hitting on, it's not telling us to advance, it's telling us to stand. And the word of God is what helps us to stand in the gospel. It's the sword of the spirit. And finally, Paul finishes with this. I wanna move us on here this morning. Finally, Paul Paul finishes with this. Praying at all times. Now notice that prayer at all times is not listed as one of the pieces of armor. And also notice the armor doesn't have a backside, okay? Prayer is what encompasses the soldier, right? So Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and all supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, all right? We're to be praying as Christians at all times. Let me give you a couple of alls of prayer. Number one, all kinds of prayer. There's public prayer, there's private prayer, there's silent prayer, there's loud cries when we pray, there's times where we plan out a prayer meeting, there's times when prayer is spontaneous, there's postures in prayer can be different. We see all of these throughout scripture. All kinds of prayer and at all times. In other words, there is a, for the believer, there's this continual state of prayer. Now, it doesn't mean you go to work tomorrow and your boss finds you not working and you're like, hey, what are you doing? Well, the Bible said I need to be praying, all right? No, it's, it's this kind of this constant dependence on the Lord, yes? Listen, I pastor church. I still expect some work out of our employees from time to time, all right? And what's the power of prayer? It's in the spirit, the Apostle Paul says. The power of prayer is in the spirit. And, and so let me just do a side note, okay? This, this is not speaking in tongues or a charismatic thing, okay? I think this often gets misinterpreted. This is prayer, I want you to hear me on this, that is consistent with God's will and God's nature, this is prayer that's consistent with God's will and in God's nature. And how do I know that? Well, I'm gonna show you in just a minute, all right? Because the Apostle Paul illustrates for us how we should pray at the end of this. It's praying in the name of Christ. The Holy Spirit is a signpost that is always pointing us to Christ. He's the object of our worship, all right? And Paul says we're to persevere in prayer. We're to persevere in prayer. And finally, Paul says we should be praying for one another. He says praying for all the believers. We should be praying for our family. By the way, parents, if you have children, all right, you should be praying every single day for their salvation. Every single day. It's the most important thing you can pray for. Not, not for what school they're gonna go to, what degree they're gonna get, what job, how much money you hope they're gonna make. Man, you need to be praying for their salvation above all else. You can pray at all times. You can pray for your church leaders. We should be praying for our government leaders. My, my wife uh, actually writes her prayers in prayer journals. She has stacks of prayer journals. And what's really cool to me is I look around this room. I see many of you. I know your names, believe it or not, are in her prayer journal. Man, because she's praying for you. And she's praying for the believers. And finally, Paul illustrates his prayer in Ephesians chapter six. Look at this. And so he says, and also for me... 
that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul's basically saying, man, I'm imprisoned because I've been teaching the gospel. And notice what he prays here. When I say praying in the spirit and praying in the spirit is praying in accordance to God's will and God's character. Notice Paul doesn't pray. Hey, pray that I get out of these chains soon. That's what I would be praying. Get me out of here. Man, this is an important piece. What, a, what is a spirit-led prayer? He says, man, pray that I have the words to speak the gospel, the boldness to speak the gospel, and that the gospel is effective to the hearers, that they hear it and they repent of their sins and they believe. Man, imagine if our prayers focused on the gospel and on Christ going forward and the people around us. I, uh, a couple months ago, or I mean a couple years ago now, I guess, my son had a water spot show up in the ceiling. We have a couple in this building. And, uh, you know, and, and so whenever you see a water spot on your ceiling, you're like, that's bad news. You know, it's uh-oh, right? Something's wrong. And so, um, and so I went up above his room in my attic, and I saw that we had a leak in the attic, and his, he's got the corner room. And so in order to get this leak, uh, I had to call, I had, what I had was a, a vent pipe that the boot on the outside had dry rotted and needed a new boot. And since I'm petrified of heights, I knew I needed to call someone in, right? And so, and so what I wanted to do to get through the weekend is just put a little bucket under this pipe that was dripping. And, uh, and so it was at the, as, as these things always, whenever you have a leak, this is how it works. It is at the farthest corner of my roof, okay? And so I, I'm literally belly crawling uh, on rafters and uh, insulation with, and I took a Cool Whip container that it was so narrow down there, I had to trim it up to get it under this pipe just to keep my son's roof from, ceiling from getting worse. And I'm in the corner laying across rafters with my hands stretched across the insulation, saying things that preacher shouldn't say probably. And I'm um, like, man, this is miserable. And, and I'm in the corner roof and it dawned on me. I've never been to this part of my house before and probably never will be again, you know? And uh, the only time you end up at this point in the corner of the roof of your house is when times are desperate, right? I think sometimes we pray like that. And I'm only gonna pray when it's desperate, man, in moments of desperation, and what Paul is encouraging us with is, as, he conclude, as we conclude strong in his might, is that prayer is a part of the believer's life. It's, it's all day, it's every day, it's this idea that we need the Lord every moment of every day. Prayer's not our last resort. It's an amazing opportunity to speak to the creator of the universe. And as we move through our life, prayer is the air that we breathe. It's the reminder of our dependence on God and submission to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we enter God's presence, and this is incredible, we enter in the name of our high priest, God's son, Jesus. And so church, I wanna encourage you. May you be strong in his might. May you put on the armor, be strong in his might and stand. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the armor, which is Christ, the gospel. May we preach and teach the gospel to our hearts, God. 
For the one that's here this morning and doesn't know you, God, I pray that maybe today by the power of your spirit, the power of your word, that they would repent of sin and know Jesus Christ and be declared righteous. And know the joy of being declared righteous, growing in righteousness, and the promise of the day that our faith becomes sight where we will live forever and ever with you with all the enemies of Christ being vanquished. And we get all the blessings of Christ living in perfect relationship with our creator and with one another. Thank you for this incredible, incredible hope. And for the day when our faith becomes sight and Father, as we go out singing this morning, we, we sing as brothers and sisters in the Lord, encouraging one another and singing with one another, encouraging our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.